And we are joined today from an Acharya from the Down Under, uh, other side of the world from where I am. He is in Australia. He is um, an expert on Vishishta Dvaita. Um, and particularly, he belongs to the school of, uh, I believe it is um, uh, Tengale Vishishta Dvaita, but he has kind of created a new school, which is kind of taking both Vargale and Tengale ideas. Yeah, Margale, that's right. Uh, and uh, we are joined, and this is uh, Acharya Rami Shivan. Um, Acharya, welcome to the program. Namaskar, how are you? Thank you very well. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Oh, no, I we are honored to be here. I've heard so much about you from quite a few people that, you know, I had to reach out to you and you know, I checked out your website, Ashimatam, uh, and it's just, it's beautiful, full of so much information and um, and scholarly works, you know, thank you so much for, for that. Um, so, Acharya, uh, what are you doing down in Australia? Are you from there? Are you, is that your background? Well, no, I was born in South Africa. Okay. Um, and I grew up within the uh, Hindu community, basically. Oh, interesting. So, um, from, this is not, it's not as if I'm like sort of uh, came into this from outside. Yes. For me, it was a conditioning from birth, you mm -hmm. can say. And, um, but my journey into Vasishta Advaita or Sri Vaishnavism came at a much later stage. So I was an all purpose Hindu for until I was, I met my Acharya, which was about uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. It, it, when you were, when you're born to the tradition, were you born into like ISKCON or were you born into another no, tradition? No. Well, ISKCON wasn't uh, functioning. Uh, ISKCON arrived in the world when I was about 16. Okay. 15, 16. So I'd already been, um, well, the position in South Africa was I was living in Durban, which uh -huh. is a majority Indian city. And the Indians have been there since 19, uh, 18, um, 40, 1840 or something. Right. 1860, when they were brought over as indentured laborers. The majority were Tamil speaking. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. And um, so, um, and we lived in a mixed area. In actual fact, my grandmother's house was right behind the Vaidyanada Isaran temple, which was the biggest temple in, in Durban. Yeah. And so as a child, I would go and play in the temple uh, gardens. We'd attend festivals. We loved weddings because we all got fed. <laughs> and, uh, so all the local kids would go at the weddings. And then there was a... Um, 
a, a, a monk from the Ramakrishna Center, Swami Shivapadananda, who used to conduct Gita classes huh. in, in the Vishnu temple. So after school, I used to attend his Gita classes and Upanishad classes. So that was from about the age of about 13, 12, 13. I was attending these classes and I was getting involved in it. So I was mainly involved in the Ramakrishna Mission and the Divine Life Society, huh. which were the two major Hindu organizations operating in uh, Durban at that time. Then ISKCON came afterwards. And I, I never really got into ISKCON because <laughs> to me, they are um, their paradigm, their MO is very Christian. Yeah. I've Far heard this for me yeah and um i just found that whole that missionary zeal they uh they claim to absolute truth i found those to be unacceptable mm -hmm. and then i left um south africa well also my family is mixed my mother is jewish my father was christian i went to church i went to synagogue i got uh, I had a trial run the full gamut of, uh, of religion. <clears throat> then um, my nannies that used to raise me were always Tamil women. Uh -huh. And that's how I actually got involved from, from the time I can, you know, as far back as I can remember, my nannies were telling me stories about the gods, about Krishna, about Ganesha. And that's how I entered into the whole um, uh, tradition was through the stories that I learned. Wow. And then uh, when I was uh, around 19, I left and went to Israel for eight years. Okay. And um, during that period, I went to India and I studied in Rishikesh at Sivananda Ashram. So when you went to Israel, was that, was that, for, was that for just like school or was there a particular reason? Oh, well, it, uh, it was the uh, whole anti-apartheid movement was picking up at that time. Uh -huh. And my brother was involved in anti-apartheid activities. And he had come to the notice of the secret police. And so my father had some connection in the secret police. And they said to him, look, your son has come under surveillance. You need to get him out of here. Right. So my father, the only way... Uh, the only place they could send him was Israel. So he had gone to Israel. And then I thought, well, I was starting to get involved in these kind of uh, anti-apartheid activities as well. <clears throat> Although the secret police hadn't uh, zoned in on me yet. <laughs> I mean, so, that must have been a, a terrible time and a very interesting time to have lived, um, you know, during the apartheid period, you know, you know, Trevor Noah, the, the, the big you know, South African comedian, you know, talks about that in his, you yeah. know, memoir and life. But, you know, what was your experience in that time period? You know, how, how was life for you? Well, in, it, it's interesting because living in Durban, which is a majority Indian city, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't that, um, that bad. I mean, there were, uh, seg there was segregation like there was in the States, you know, Jim Crow laws, right. um, whites, you had separate benches in the parks for whites and blacks, right. uh, buses, you know, blacks had to sit up at the back of the buses, exactly the same as what went on in the States. So the civil rights movement was, um, uh, it was also at the time of Martin Luther King. I remember 
my brother smuggled in a copy of uh, I Have a Dream. And he and I used to listen to it under our bed clothes. <laughs> <laughs> because it was banned. Yeah. You could be arrested for listening to that. And so um, it was a very interesting time. Um, I, uh, because of my affinity with the, the Indian community at school, my nickname yeah. was Kuli. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I guess it could be a badge of honor for you, but it's also very, uh, very, you know, degrading to call someone that too, at the same point. It was, I mean, Kuli was the, um, was equal to the N word yeah um, for indians and so that was my nickname at school and um so when i got to the age of about uh, 17 18 i decided that um i needed to get out so and i also had a uh, dream of going to india mm. and i could never get to india on a um, south african passport so i went to israel and took out israeli citizenship in order to get an israeli passport because then I could have gone to. Oh right, India. because your your mother was Israeli, or, or yeah. correct? So okay, and how long were you in Israel then? How long did you spend there? Total of about ten years. Okay. But in the meantime, I also um, started doing nursing. Okay. So um, I became a registered nurse, and in between those periods, I used to go to India to study at uh, Sivananda Ashram in Rishia. So I studied Sanskrit, I studied yoga, I studied, I started studying Vedanta, Mimam, Sanyaya, all this kind of stuff. Uh, wow. So <laughs> you're in Rishikesh, what, you know, outside of studying these things, what were you, what, I mean, how much time would you spend there? Would it be like summers? Would it be, you know? Um, oh, it would have been like, see, as long as my visa lasted, which was usually about three to six months. Okay. Um, and so in that time, and because I got to know the, uh, the monks and uh, administration, there were a lot of ex-South Africans uh, at Rishikesh as well, huh. who, um, with whom I was in contact. So there was a, a mafia. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you're in Rishikesh and then how did you connect with, uh, the, the, I guess the Vishistro date at, at that point? Actually, it was a very interesting uh, account. Um, I was one day in, uh, I always had an attraction to Vishnu. And yeah. Always my, um, my love. And uh, one day I was in, I was looking for texts on Pancharatra Agama. Hmm. Because I'd, I'd already got into, while I was in South Africa, I already got into ritual. Hmm. So I was studying under an, um, an ayer. Um, Shankara Ayer, who lived in, he was at the appointed to the temple, Vaidanadi right. temple. So I started studying ritual under him. So I was already involved in pujas and things like this. And I just uh, wanted to get into Vaishnava Agama, which mm. was my particular interest. So I was uh, in Chennai looking for bookstores that could, but there were none available. And I can, uh, I was staying at, um, at Mylapur at the um, uh, Kapal, near the Kapalishwara temple. Yeah, yeah, beautiful temple. Um, absolutely amazing. I was staying at a, a lodge in front of the temple. So I was coming back to the lodge and uh, we passed the Sanskrit college. And then I just say, said to the rickshaw, well, I stop, I need to go in here, went in. And there's a lady sitting at the desk. I still remember her name was Mrs. Janaki. 
and I introduced myself and I said, look, I'm really passionate about learning about uh, Vaishnava Agama, Pancharatra Agama. Um, can you give me some direction? So she said, yes, one of our college professors, <clears throat> Mrs. Sita Padmanabhan, she's an expert in Pancharatra Agama. She's retired, but she has written many books on the subject. So maybe you want to go and see her. Hmm. So she gave me uh, her address. Uh, it was at Tinaga. So I went out there and located um, the, the dear old lady. And uh, we spent the afternoon chatting and talking about it. And she said, look, if you're happy to learn from me, I will teach you. So, um, so why does she say it that way? Is, is, there, is there a reason? Yeah, accepting uh, studying under females, you should know that. Yeah. Happy. And especially in situation with somebody that is just so uh, um, cut out in these matters. Right. And so I said, look, I don't care who I learn from. Um, I'm not exactly the you know, qualified uh, student, so I'm happy to learn. So I would go and study Pancharatra Agama with her. And she'd written, she was an expert and her husband had been involved in it. And she was involved in the Pancharatra Parishodhana um, Sabha. Yeah. Uh, that were going around India looking for um, old palm leaf texts and manuscripts to preserve because they were all deteriorating and, de and uh, diminishing. So then I uh, associated with her, we had correspondence. <clears throat> Whenever I could, I would go to India and uh, study with her. And um, this sounds like a Mahabharata epic. Oh, no, this is this is great. I love it. This is where we get to the learn more about you and the nitty gritties of, of all this. And then um, by that time, I'd migrated to Australia. This is about 35 years ago. <clears throat> and um, I was living and working here as a nurse. Yeah. And um, and on because there were no Indians here at that time. There's absolutely no Indians. There's one shop in Sydney that was run by Indian Jews that sold spices. <laughs> and all the Indian doctors that were here in the various country towns all used to go to the Indian Jews, Bombay Jews, to buy their spices and their dal <laughs> and their basmati rice and their ghee and whatnot. And um, so then gradually the Indian community started growing and um, uh, that's how I you know, got involved in doing puja for the local community. There yeah. were no priests. But in the meantime, what had happened was uh, 35 years ago, I, um, there weren't any computers around that time, by the way. Right. Um, and I wrote a letter to my teacher, uh, uh, Sita Padmanabhan, and I said, um, I would like to become initiated. I want to take Pancha Samskara. So she said, oh, mate, you're a whitey. It's not going to happen. <laughs> And I said, look, you've taught me Pancharatra Agama. Everybody and anybody is entitled to receive Pancha Samskara. I said, uh, and you're plugged into the system. You do the needful. I'm coming to India. <laughs> That's such an Indian term, right? Do the needful. <laughs> I just laid it on the ground. I said, this is what you have taught me. You are my teacher. It is your responsibility to organize this Pancha Samskara. I will be coming to India. Yeah. So I arrived in India and it happened to be during the annual festival of uh, Ramana Jacharya at uh, Sri Perambudur. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she introduced me, she took me to Parthasarathi temple and introduced me to Gita Acharya. 
Uh, and Gita Acharyan was, was very straightforward. And he said to me, look, uh, none of the three Vaishnava Acharyas will initiate you. He put it on the line. He said, even the Tengalais won't initiate you. You're a whitey. And uh, all of them depend upon uh, their Brahmin disciples for their maintenance. Mm. And they would not initiate you in fear of losing patronage mm. and uh, damaging the lifestyle. And he said, likewise, I'm not going to initiate you. And he said, but I have found a Jia that is uh, willing to uh, initiate. So I said, cool, got on the bus, we drove to Sri Perambudur, and I met my Acharya Viraja, Varada Yatiraja Jia, the And um, there was love at first sight. And he said, look, I've been waiting for a Western disciple for decades. And he said, um, I'm glad you've come. So he said, but I can't initiate you immediately. I need to make sure that the other elders of the community are happy with you. And they had all come to, there were some Varigalai Acharyas, there were some Tengalai Acharyas, had come to Sri Parambadur mm. for the festival. So he said, wait here till the end of the festival and they will test you. So basically what happened was every day I would get up, I would do my Sangavandana, do my Brahma Yajna, do my Tarpana, and they would be observing me mm. and how I ate, how I walked, how I talked. And then I would also, I didn't realize that at the time that it was under such surveillance. Yeah. Uh, but it was just a very subtle thing. And then they, uh, they would occasionally come and ask me questions. You know, can you chant Purusha Suktam or, you know, chant Sri Suktam or you know, something like that. Yeah. And that asked me, test me, what, what is your knowledge of uh, Vaishnava um, Siddhanta? And then I'd talk to them, I'd have discussions with them. And then apparently they give, gave the go ahead. They said, look, we're happy with his level of knowledge and uh, sincerity. And we also approve of the level of his practice. The Acharam for them was the most important thing. Right. And so uh, he gave me Panchasiram Samskara, and then I would go back every year to, uh, not every year, but every you know year, second year, I'd go back sure. and then study with him as well. Wow. Wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. Were you the first uh, Westerner that's been initiated into the Sri Sampadaya? No, there was one. There's actually another Aussie. Uh, his, uh, his, he actually... Uh, he's an interesting guy. He belonged to ISKCON and he's about the same age as I am. And yeah. he, um, Prabhupada sent him to Bangalore to Sri Vaishnava Acharya to study Pancharatra Agama. So he is the, he started studying Pancha, uh, Pancharatra Agama before I did. Huh. And the interesting thing is that he is the first and the only Westerner that I know of that received Chakraja Mandala Diksha, which is the Diksha that is given to Archakas in the temple. Wow. And so he was, he is actually an Archaka. But the, by, is he Archaka in the, in the uh, Pancharatra system or Vaikanasa system here? No, no, uh, Pancharatra system. Okay. Um, and uh, so he was going around the world doing all the Pratishta, the Kumbha Bishagams for the um, Iskran temples. Oh, wow. And I met him in Durban because I was in Durban when he came to uh, do the Pratishta of the Durban Sri Radhanath Temple. Hmm. And that's when I met him. And we immediately clicked. And um, 
mean, we had so much in common, similar backgrounds. Sure. Uh, the same age, similar interests. And we've remained um, very good friends up until now. Now, he uh, subsequently has gravitated completely towards Sri Vaishnavism. Oh, he so has. He, okay. Yeah. So he considers himself more Tengale Vaishnava than he does uh, Iskon. Although he does maintain some uh, contact with Iskon. Yeah. But he, uh, he lives in Hawaii with his wife and they bought a house in Sri Rangam in the Agraharam. Yeah, yeah. He spends six months of the year in Sri Ranga and six months of the year in Hawaii. You know, it's it's fascinating because I mean, I, I I assume you probably met Yeti Rajajir um, in the eighties, right? Mid eighties, I would assume. Yeah. I about 30, 30 years ago. Yeah, so that's when I met him too, right? Like, so I met him right after my Upanayanam um, in 1991. So I was like 11, right around 11 um, or 92, I forget. One of those two dates, right? And then my father had, um, had done, after my Upanayanam, we did a, a temple tour of South India, right? So he, we rented a bus and then went to probably mm -hmm. like 30, 40 temples. And one of the temples was Sri Parambada, right? And and I met I met uh, Jir and, he had this, I mean, he was not a big man. He was, he was a smaller man. He was, you know, like yeah. smaller, but he had this aura, this presence about him that was just happy, like joyful yeah. constantly and, and, but full of love and compassion. Yeah. And I remember when we were talking to him, because I was at this point just learning more about Ramanujacharya and the tradition. And I remember him talking about, you know, of how Ramanuja in his day would, you know, turn you know, Shudras and Dalits into Brahmanas and, and, and be, and he was kind of an iconoclast, you know, uh, in many ways, yes. the, the jeer was also iconoclast. I, I, from yeah. what I understood, a lot of the other jeers were very hesitant about him because he would, he was fearless. He would do whatever, because yeah. if you saw the temple, I, I mean, the Sri Parambudur uh, Mata, it wasn't in good condition. It was dilapidated because he yeah. didn't have, he didn't have people that would give him money. And, and my, I remember my dad, my dad did give him money and because um, he wanted the, he wanted the birthplace of Ramajacharya to be to be this great, great location. But it was just this Acharya, you know, the Jir, who was such a powerful person, who was so open, loving, caring, going out in the community, the, the in some ways, the Brahminical group there was so anti what he was doing. It was it's so sad. That, that that was the, the way that they treated him, someone that was this amazing. I mean, he, and this is why I loved him so much, was um, an example would be that I went there uh, one year and um, I gave him, I don't know, a couple of hundred bucks. As, um, and he said, why are you giving this to me? I said, because uh, you, you're my Acharya. This is the Dakshana Sambhavana. Yeah. yeah. So he said, oh, okay. And then he said, come with me. And I, you know, converted it into rupees. That's a whole bag of rupees. <laughs> to come with me. So he went around Sri Parambudur to all the poor people and he handed them wads of cash. <laughs> and, I, and he said, yeah, and he just handed them out to all the, the poorest people in Sri Parambudur. And then I stayed you know, with, with, with him in the mud for a few days. And then he said to me, um, have you got enough money to get home? Uh, you know, can I give you some money? <laughs> and then I, I, one year, one year, I went on a tour of, uh, with him to uh, around South India, to all the Dalit colonies. Mm. 
he had many, many uh, Dalit disciples, thousands of Dalit disciples that absolutely adored him. Yeah. And um, so we, and he used to um, aid them in uh, building temples, Vishnu temples. He'd give them all Panchasamskara. Some of them he even uh, gave um, Upanena. Yeah. And um, he would organize Kumbhavishagams for them. And he had a real uh, powerful outreach, but he was not supported, as you pointed out, he was not supported by the Brahmin community. Yeah. And in fact, he was traduced most of the time. People would not support him. And uh, when Rajiv Gandhi was um, assassinated in Sri Perambudur, the uh, Congress party wanted to confiscate temple land to build the smarak. Mm. And Jiva Swami refused to give it to them. And they threatened him. They sent the gundas around to threaten him. Uh, they brought cases against, and he uh, brought cases against them, which went on for years yeah. in court. He got death threats from the Congress party. They had to appoint a policeman to be, um, um, you know, permanent security guard at the, at the Matam. And all the other Jews were saying to him, oh, Swami, what is it? You know, let it go. Let them take the land. What's the yeah. problem? And he said, no, this is Ramanuja's birthplace. It's Ramanuja's land. Yeah. And no political party will have anything to do with this. And so he fought them all the way. I don't, I mean, I don't know what the final judgment of the court was, but, um, uh, you know, this is uh, the fearlessness and the thing is that when he came into power in Sri Parambadur, he called for an audit of all the temple jewelries, everything else. And he found that there was uh, skullduggery going on, there was looting and pillaging going on, that uh, the priests themselves were stripping gold oh, wow. from the Dwajastamba, uh, from the, um, uh, just the, the looting uh, of the temple property was just astonishing. And so he put a stop to that. And uh, that's another reason why the Archakas hated him. Yeah, and I, I remember he was he was a he was in the military before he 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 joined. He became an uh, Jir, wasn't he? He was in the Correct. Air Force yeah. or Army. It was the Air Force. Yeah, I remember seeing his picture. He showed us the picture that he had yeah. in the wall where uh, where when he was a young Air Force captain. But I was just I, my dad still tells me because I was just captivated by the man because because this is what this is what I thought was. This is what I thought true Shivaishnavism is like. This his 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 Catholicism in terms of universality, the way he approached people. He was so so. There's nothing. There's nothing like hubris about him, and he's so knowledgeable, so intelligent, and so I don't know. It was he just struck me as like a Mahanubhava, you know, in, in many many ways. I mean, to me, he was one of the um, most exceptional uh, sannyasis. He used to sleep on a grass mat with a wooden block for a pillow. Yeah. And it was only after he had a heart attack and because he was a diabetic, he had a lot of problems. So then the doctors insisted that he sleep on a bed. Yeah. Uh, but up until then, he would uh, sleep on a grass mat on the floor. <clears throat> and he was absolutely strict in his archadam and his uh, practice. Yeah. Um, but he had many, many enemies. Yeah, I mean, so... Like the, can you talk about like what happened to the the matam afterwards? Is there is there someone else there now? Is there? Is, uh, uh, well, the thing is that uh, Yadiraja Jir, he um, 
he uh, gave me Acharya uh, uh, statics. Okay. And he wrote a Brihad Lankaram, which he said he's giving me the right and authority to perform all the Vaibhika samskaras, to perform uh, uh, temple consecrations, everything. He gave me this authority. He yeah. Said, you are, uh, but I, I, I did not choose to take um, uh, Mandali Diksha because that type of thing obligates you too much. Right. To, uh, strict practice, which I couldn't guarantee. Right. And um, he actually said to me, I want you, I want to nominate you to be the next GRC. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine that? The the controversy that would be? I said, Swamiji, the, 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 the high priest of Sri Rangam tried to poison Ramanuja Acharya. What do you think that do to me? <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, he, um, what was I going to say? I was on the wrong track. No, no, um, you, uh, we were talking about his uh, uh, succession and kind of... Uh... Oh, yeah. So when he passed uh, away a couple of years ago, uh, there is a new Jia there, Govinda Jia, who is ex-CID. Wow. But he's, uh, he's not as, as... He's learned in the Diga Prabandham and the Tamil works, but his Sanskrit is not all that good. Yadiraja hmm. uh, Swami could actually give a, uh, a discourse in Sanskrit. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was that good in the, the Sanskrit. Um, but is, uh, is, is the Mata now pick, uh, getting more money? Is it, is it growing? Well, or is it... Apparently, Chimajir Swami has also now stepped in and has uh, poured some money in. And the last time I did visit there, it, there were renovations going on okay. for the Centennial. Yeah. So there was a lot of um, stuff that was done for the centennial. But uh, since then, I haven't been back since he passed away. Do you think you would have been given um, initiation in Bhattagale at all? Or, or, or is that too Achara? Actually, now there are a lot of Westerners in the interim. A lot of Iskonians have uh, taken... Uh, Samasharanam in the uh, uh, the the two Varigale and uh, Tengale Sampradaya. Yeah. The whole village here, as far as I know, is doing um, uh, Panchasamskara for um, Westerners. So, so what made you choose Tengale or Varigale? Was it just this person was was willing to give it to you? Huh? I just fell into it by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Mean, this is why I decided with tongue in cheek, I started the Met Kaleng. Yeah. Um, just one minute. Sure, sure. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, yeah. Um, Medgale, uh, uh, so Vadagale and Tengale. Um, uh, what I find, uh, we're now coming to the issues um, um, in the Sri Vaishnava community. Yeah. That you have this split between the Vadagales and the Tengales, and very often it uh, it's, um, explodes into real time conflict. Yeah. And um, when I peruse through the Ashtadasha Bhedas, the 18 uh, differences, uh, yeah. I find that there are some that I agree with in the Tengale and some that I agree with in the Vadagale. I'm on the same page as you. <laughs> uh, I'm saying, look, you know, 
But a lot of people say, I'm Tengale, I believe this because that is my Sampradaya. Yeah. And I said, well, no, uh, this uh, Ramanuja didn't have Sampradaya. Yeah. Uh, the Sampradaya um, uh, split came uh, with Vedanta Desika and Pillai Lokacharya. At that time, the Sampradaya split. Yeah. But up until then, it was one. And so um, in an in a effort to bring it back together, and so yeah. I tongue-in-cheek said, because he did just said to me, look, go to Australia, open a uh, independent mutt and uh, practice and teach. And so I thought, I'm not going to buy into this Vadagale-Tengale uh, um, conflict. I'm going to bring from the Vadagale what I approve of, what I agree with, and from the Tengale, and I'm going to create a Medgale. Yeah. Wow. Um, actually, Lakshmi uh, Tata Acharya from Melkote, he actually sent me a letter <laughs> to say that he approved of it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> so what what are the key precepts in Medkale? Oh, um, well, it's my, it, my vision of oh. Sri Vaishnavism is going back to Ramanuja. Yeah. And going away, I am more of a, a jnani than a bhatta. Mm. So in that way, I'm more aligned with the uh, the scholarship of the Vargalais. Yeah. The Sanskrit scholarship with a focus on mimam, sanyaya, tarka, all this kind of stuff. Whereas the Tengalais are more involved in uh, Divya Prabandham. Divya Prabandham, uh, you know, like if I'm preaching or teaching to Westerners. Yeah. The Divya Prabandham doesn't connect with them. They don't, they don't, they just cannot get it. And first of all, Tamil is, as you well know, is one of the hardest languages to learn. Sure. Just to pronounce it. I mean, it's, 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 it's just, yeah. I mean, is, it's, the Tamil is, is yoga for the tongue. <laughs> That's and, a great way to think about it. <laughs> and so, um, it, you know, teaching, so, and as I say, I am, I'm, I'm happy to admit that I'm, I'm I don't classify myself as a, as a bhakta. Yeah. I'm more into the intellectual tradition. Yeah. And uh, the actual teaching and doing and practical stuff. So uh, so to my mind of reading um, Ramanuja's Bhasha and the Gita, for example, Ramanuja's big focus was on karma yoga. Yeah. And for him, bhakti yoga wasn't this, you know, like sort of emotional outpouring. Uh, bhakti yoga for him was meditation. That's right. Constant thinking of yes. yes um so it was meditation so ramanuja differentiated between jnana yoga and bhakti yoga both were meditation based yeah jnana based but and jnana yoga was more on the abstract paramatma brahman whereas um the um the bhakti based meditation was on the rupam of um Peruma. yeah but it was still meditation based yes so he said dhyana is moksha upaya. And then later on you had this idea as, oh, you don't have to have upaya. You can just take some punch of some skara and sit in, uh, at home, watch TV, cricket, eat murku, and, you know. Yeah. You're going to be, drink non-alcoholic beer and you'll be liberated. No need to <laughs> um, And whereas the Varagala approach was more sadhana, more involved in study, practice, uh, greater emphasis on acharam than there was with the 
slack tangalize. Even when I had my Pancha Samskara, Yadirajajir said, I want to um, uh, perform uh, Udagashanti. He said, but I'm not inviting any Tengale uh, Vadyas. I'm yeah. only inviting Vadagale Vadyas because they do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> so when my Udagashanti was done, it was all uh, Vadagale uh, Vadyas. So basically from a, well, to tell you the truth, it, it didn't take off as a movement. I mm -hmm. did initiate quite a few um, ex-Esconians, mm -hmm. but over the years, it's kind of, people are not, I, I don't know. I found that in America, people are more Westerners I'm talking about, are more dedicated to study and practice yeah. than Australians. So I was involved in, uh, I used to fly to America, to San Francisco every year for about five years to run a, uh, a puja course in Berkeley hmm. at a um, yoga institute called Yoga um, Mandala. Okay. And um, so I had a, quite a number of students that studied puja and uh, ritual under me. And they were very, very keen students that arrive with their notebooks, that ask questions, that memorize stuff. Whereas Aussies kind of, yeah, whatever, roll up, they, with their sandwiches or their hamburgers, they lie around eating and they're, they're not really into um, study as much as Americans are. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the young expat Indians are not really interested either. No. And neither do their parents uh, direct them into this kind of learning. No, they, they just want their kids to go to the temple when you have to, and then come back home and then live your life, yeah. right? There's no and sadhana. Absolutely nothing to do with sadhana. And um, uh, things have changed since uh, Chinajiya Swami um, started coming to Australia. So he's got a whole bunch of disciples. Yeah. But um, again, there's politics. They don't invite me. It's a... Uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff that's uh, social dynamics that going, that's going on in the background. Uh, but basically, my idea would be to get back to the sadhana, to back to the academic, um, you know, metaphysics yeah. of uh, sampradaya, uh, to focus more on meditation. Uh, yoga is a very important part of it. So it's uh, Ashtanga Yoga Patanjali involved with meditation, pranayama, all that kind of stuff. Um, and plus the Sampradaya teachings mm. with a focus on social service. See, this is the key to it, that uh, there is a principle of Tadhyaradhana. What is Tadhyaradhana? You invite some fat Vaishnavas and you feed them, make them <laughs> even fatter. You give them sambar and puliyodhara and, you know, you make them happy. That yeah. is Tadhyaradhana. But Yadiraja Jir's understanding and my understanding is Tadhya means that which belongs to Perumal. Yeah. Those that belong to who belong to him? Everyone. Yes. So Tadhyaradhana means the worship of those that belong to Sriman Narayana, which is all the poor, disenfranchised, marginalized street people, all of those. Those are the ones you should be feeding and, and uh, performing aradhane, which literally means, you know, honor, worship too. Yes. Not uh, fat Sri Vaishnava uh, Brahmins. Yes. So uh, my, that is, and being a nurse and involved in hospital work, all my life I've worked serving the sick and Daridra um, Narayana, you know, so for me, that is my service. To, that is my kankariya. Yeah, yeah. The hospital, serving the sick and 
visualizing them that I'm serving uh, Sriman Narayana in the person of these sick and ailing people. That's that's beautiful. I mean, it's so s- similar to how, you know, we belong to Vadigale tradition, but my my father, this that, that's how he kind of raised us. You know, he'd always say, Manava Seva, Madhava Seva, yeah. you know, Nada Seva, Nada Ayana Seva, you know, serve people, help people around you, whoever is, is suffering and pain and struggling. Yeah never treat people differently, give them respect yeah. because they are just, they're umshas of, of not iron out of themselves in front of you, right? So yeah. this this is how I was raised, but it's it's so funny, you know, like how people get caught up in some ways in in this sense of I am Brahman, I am Achara, I have to do Achara. That's the only thing that means to be Sri Vaishnava. Chant Divya Prabandhams at times, do your Sandhya Mandaram, and then you're good to be... Uh, and then do, do your, you know, you know, baranyasam, and then you're, uh, <laughs> then you're good. And, and I, and for me, like this is, I, you know, I, I don't want to talk ill, but I, I don't like the concept like baranyasam in the way that we do it today, which is we just give over your bara to Bhagavan and you don't do nothing, and you just kind of yeah. like live your life, right? It, it, yeah. This is, this to me is the antithesis of what what I think Ramanuja wanted. The, the bara is supposed to be your your ego. You give up your ego. You, you give up your, your burden of your ego and you still act for the benefit of the world constantly. Right. And the thing is that Ramanuja uh, focused on what is called uh, sadhana saptaka. Huh. Sadhana saptaka is the, the program of spiritual development, which is uh, study, the principle of application, um, cultivating the qualities yeah. Of a, the intellectual qualities as well as the um, uh, moral qualities. And I didn't see any of this happening. There was, I mean, I can remember the Velkudi, who uh, was not very fond of me. <laughs> but, uh, once I, because I questioned him once, uh, went to one of his lectures when he was here, and I said to him that um, in the Gita, Bhasha, Ramanuja talks about uh, dhyana as moksha upaya. Why are you not teaching dhyana? And so his reply was, oh, everybody knows how to do dhyana. I said, no, they don't. Dhyana is a, spe- a technique that you've got to learn on the, the way to sit, the way to breathe, the visualizations. This is all taught in Pancharatra Agama. 100%, yes. Oh, this is, yeah. I love that you say that because there's so much, I just feel like, you know, I, I had Dushan Sridharan, who was a great guy. I loved him. Fantastic. And it's, but I'm also worried a large part of our tradition has been, or the, the traditional Ramanujan, the Vedic tradition, and even the the, the Divya tradition has been so wrapped up in overly bhakti and overly uh, sharanagati uh, prapati, where, where the requirements of intellectual rigor, of requirements of of hard work, of doing, it, 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 it's so funny to me because I feel like Krishna lays out all these steps in the Gita and he does say, if you can't do this, do this. If you can't do this, do this. But the first thing everyone does is go to the last one. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even try jnana. They don't try karma. They don't try bhakti. Just Sharanagati is just the easiest way. And I feel like that's a, such a cop-out for so many people. Without the basic said, you cannot give up what you do not have. Yeah. <laughs> It's like saying I'm giving up, uh, you know, Bezos as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he said before before you can do Sharanagati, you have to do Karma Yoga, you have to do Bhakti Yoga, you have to do Karma Yoga, and then once you have uh, practiced all those, the final stage is Sharanagati. 
Right. So it, it's, you know, Sharanagati should be the culmination of your, your study and your practice. Right. It shouldn't be the, the cop-out. And, 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 and the cop-out is also the moral values. Where are the moral values? Like, look, I have my own, I have my own failings. I do like a beer, um, yeah. not an alcoholic. I have I have my own issues. I have my own bossiness and sometimes work out. But for me, a part of the biggest thing for me that I think about is, am I am I being dharmic? Am I treating people well? Am I am I bringing the love of of Bhagavan into the world? Am I engaging in a way that treat that brings people up? That to me is more important. But I, I find that lacking so much in our community in Sri Vaishnavism as we talk about it. Well. You know the the thing is that the um, I just had one of my my students, one of my best students, who I'm teaching uh, Vaidikam to, yeah, and um, he's from a Sri Vaishnava family, yeah, and um, he's uh, he told me the other day that he was listening to a discourse by some uh, Vaishnava acharyas, and they were saying that you should never drink milk from a cow called Parvati. Because uh, the milk from the cow, Parvati cow, will be more tamasic. <laughs> so the cow couldn't be called Mary, couldn't be called Fatima, <laughs> it could not be called Parvati. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the type of discussions these people are getting into. And there was a famous story about in um, Varadaraja Swami temple about that elephant, Keshavan. Yeah. That they were arguing about what Nama. The Nama. Yeah. And they, they wouldn't feed the elephant until the court case was decided and the elephant died. I mean, this it was is eighteen hundreds. This is crazy. These are I mean, these are such minor differences. I don't I mean this is I always used to like have this conversation with, with people about it was, you know, these differences are so pointless. You know, what what's the message here? Well, you know, I always say that my favorite chapter of the Gita. And um, something that I always tell my students is if you if you, you want to read only one chapter of the Gita, read 12th chapter. Just this one verse that summarizes it. And there are 32 qualities there. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. And then he says, this is the Dharma Amritam. Yeah. That this is the essence of the Dharma. Adveshta sarva bhutana. Do not hate every any living creature. Yeah. Be uh, equal and fair to all. So to me, this is the message, and this is what Vaishnava should be engaged in. Yeah, but, and this is echoing in in the Gita in chapter sixteen. You know, um, you know what ahimsa sati makroda tyaga shanti apeshanam dayabhuteshu. This is the, the qualities of the satvoguna, right? The people that are following the deva sampati. But who's doing that? Who's speaking truth? Who is being Treating people, I don't. I get... and to me, the essence of the Gita is Loka Sangraha. Yeah. Loka Sangraha, Sarva Bhuta Hiterata. Keeps yeah. on saying Sarva Bhuta Hiterata. But, um, you know, if you look at these, the, which organizations are doing outreach to say street people, um, you know, meals on wheels, meals yeah. for the poor, it's the Sikhs. Yeah. Uh, Satya Sai Baba organization are right out there. They, uh, you know, vans. It's a couple of other organizations. But the Sri Vaishnava was busy doing Tadi Aradhana. Yeah. It's, it, there's too much inward looking navel gazing in the Sri Vaishnava community. 
And this is why Sri Vaishnavism cannot move out of its social, ethno-social confines. Well, it's, it's also because I think a large part in the exact opposite of Ramanuja's vision, it's become a Bram, Brahmins only. It's become yeah. so Brahmin centric where like everyone else is considered at the periphery. And, and, and that, that's sad to me. Like why, why, I mean, the fact that Ramanuja would go with one person leaning to take a bath and come back on Donar Dasa, yeah. you know, yeah. people, people don't, they use these only in, in to show the greatness of Ramanuja, but why aren't you following it? Oh, he's a Mahan. You know, he's a Mahan. That's not for us. Yes, no, no, no. Exactly. This is... <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Only he can. You know that Ramanuja initiated 700 female um, sannyasinis. I did not know that. I, I actually did not know that. And uh, this is what Jaya Swami told me. And he told me, he showed me inside the temple um, Prakaram. Yeah. There's a painting on the wall. I don't know if they painted over it or so there. But of these 700 Amayas. And it's a, you know, the inscription in Tamil that, that he initiated his women, women to be teachers and to be jeers. And uh, this information is suppressed. I've seldom come, come across, average three Vaishnavas that know this. Yeah, and they should. As a, that is something that as time went on, as these women died out, no new women joined the female order. But wasn't there a, a couple under Pili Lokacharya that, that were uh, female scholars that wrote treatises and, and commentaries? Uh, I don't know about that. But I know that today, for example, in uh, Mysore, there is a, um, I can't remember what her name is. She's a Sanskrit teacher. She's a Tengale Sanskrit teacher who teaches uh, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And she's brilliant. I've met her. Her name slipped on mind at the moment. But she does. She has become an acharya in her own right. Yeah. She, um, because a lot of um, because of Patabi Joyce, um, Ashtanga Yoga, and thousands and thousands of Westerns have been going to Mysore to study. Yeah. And a lot of them have gravitated gravitated towards her to study uh, Yoga Sutras and things like that. That's brilliant. But even when you think about um, uh, because I am God. They say he had one of the biggest followings of yoga in the world. He's yeah. one of the most renowned yoga teachers, but he never pushed Sampradaya stuff. No, no. Uh, his yoga sutras on Patanjali, his commentary is, is very Vaishnava commentary, but he himself never promoted Sri Vaishnavism, never encouraged people to take Samasharanam or anything like that. No, I, I don't know much about him outside of, you know, the yoga stuff. And uh, I was... You know, when I was young, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard SMS Chadi. Um, yeah. yeah. So he he used to stay with us and and lived in San Diego with his kids. And so he would come and I'd learn Vishishtadvaita Shivashivas from him. So he taught me a few mantras and stuff like that. But he was related to BKS and he would talk about BKS Iyengar's you know yoga f uh, focus, but he was the one focusing on the the tradition. You see, the thing is that what I found, and the thing is that I have a different perspective because I came into Hinduism through yeah. Divine Life Society and through the Ramakrishna Center and the works of Swami Vivekananda. Mm. So they had already had an outreach to Westerners. Yeah. And were already, um, uh, had gone beyond that caste consciousness. They had already started integrating women. There were women uh, sannyasinis. 
um, you know, they'd broken down all those barriers. Right. And it was much easier to transport Advaita Vedanta to the West. Um, and even in India, it's much easier to take Advaita Vedanta and spread it around than it is Sri Vaishnavi, which is still, as you pointed out, still very Brahmin centric. Even though, technically speaking, the, uh, the Tengalais at least will um, initiate everyone. Mm. But it doesn't mean to say, you know, they uh, very often uh, initiate them as, as Nambis. Yeah. Or Sata Sri Vaishnavas, which means yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, there's, a, there's actually a, a two tier here. Right. There's the, the, the Dvija Vaishnava, then the Sata Vaishnava. And they kind of. And Pillai Lokacharya said, you know, the worst thing you can ever ask a Vaishnava is what his caste is. Right. It's like inquiring into his mother's genitals. Right. That's exactly the words he said. Never ever ask a Vaishnava what your caste is. So theoretically, under Ramanuja's um, ages, their caste should not be an issue. Right. And yet I have found in my own personal experience that I have um, attained greater recognition amongst non-Sri Vaishnavas than among Sri Vaishnavas themselves. Right. I, I think there's this, um, with Sri Vaishnavas, it's it, it just, it's very interesting to me just because, because I love the tradition. I am, I'm in love with Ramanuja's entire, like I think Sri Basha is a magnificent text of intellectual Riga. giant. You know, yeah. it's it, it, it to me is like there's too much emphasis people place on him being a mystic, him being a, a bhakta, not enough emphasis placed on his genius of his Absolutely. ability to, yeah. to just his way he thinks about things. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Um, but but I mean that aside to me, just the focus on so much of, of the Sri Vaishnava community just on this being Sri Vaishnava, just oh connection to Ramanaja, that's why we're great. And yeah. I I, I I don't care for that. I, I don't care. Self 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 congratulation. Yeah, you know, it, like the the sampradaya requires, and I think the sampradaya requires more of us, more of us to be better in in the world, and more of us to treat people better. But we yeah. just feel so. It's like you said, self congratulations. Oh, we're born in the Sri Vaishnava family. How great are we? And I'm just like. Yeah. No, it's a burden to be born. It should be a burden to be born in the Sri Vaishnava family because you have to do more. You should have yeah. to do more. Exactly, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, so this is um, a, a concern, you know, that sits with me. So can you actually, you know, someone put me to the fact that, so what is Ramanuja, or even the tradition of Hinduism? How does it deal with with Varnashrama, and then what does that mean? Is is it a is it a pure caste system? Is it is it a system in which we people are born there, stuck there, or is it a system? Of oppression. I, I mean, this is what's happening today, right? We're having these discussions. You know, I would love to have your opinion on this. Well, there is the the um, issue with varana ashrama is that uh, varana technically means your character, mm. and uh, your character is actually determined by your astrology, mm. which uh, Sri Vaishnavas shouldn't be dealing with, with dabbling in anyway. Um, and this is another fascinating thing that all these uh, Sri Vaishnavas are going off to have their jatakams done and, and picking mahurtams, which is completely against the tradition. Yeah. As a Sri Vaishnava, you're supposed to have nothing to do. If you have sharanagati to Krishna, you do not. Tadeva laganam sudhinam tadeva tarabalan sandarvanam tadeva. You know, you don't uh, look at all these things. But um, your character is determined by your. Um, by your astrology basically and your character is determined by all your previous samskaras and vasanas from your previous life yeah um, 
the system of jati is something else that developed um it's a um a guild system basically that developed um and um in an uh, well first of all it goes right back to agri uh, agrarian society sure so when the smriti is like mano smriti apastamba dharma sutras all these things were written it was basically for farmers people living in a village and so the only um, uh, career options you had were to either be a priest to be a a landlord or to be a warrior or to be a farmer and you know cattle breeder and and petty artisan yeah. those were the career options open to you and then after the guptas that's in the golden age of uh, indian society when the the society became more sophisticated india was participating in world trade Mm -hmm. um then indian arts and crafts be, uh, were in big demand so it's cloth it's carvings ivory woodwork pottery all this kind of stuff jewelry and the uh, five um uh kamala in south india they call the kamala in uh, north india they called the uh, vishwakarma mm -hmm. cast of artisans were sudras so they were the goldsmiths the uh, blacksmiths the metalsmiths the carpenters and the uh, stonemasons and they became very very wealthy and they were actually um, competing they called themselves the descendants of vishwakarma and therefore claimed brahmanical status mm -hmm. and uh, the brahmins realized because of their power they accommodated them and then the that's when things started changing so up until then it was forbidden for a brahmin priest to perform any samskaras for shudras and to call a brahmin a shudra yajaka was an insult mm -hmm. but then the brahmins realized that as the vedic tradition was dying and to tell you the truth the vedic tradition is virtually dead although some people still fantasize about it but it is virtually it's on its um you know last gasping but it's like a covid patient in icu right not going to last much longer <clears throat> so then the brahmins realized that they needed to do something to because they were losing patronage mm -hmm. from uh, the rajas and the vaishyas that could afford the big uh, vedic yagyas so then that's when they started offering these services to the shudras and the big movement started was by uh, kamalakar um, bhatta and it was by um uh from from maharashtra so he and his brother decided that we've got to start um, engaging with the shudras and offering our services to them and then there was this whole revolution that you had brahmin priests that were professional priests who were offering their services to the to the uh, uh shudras now if you go back to manu <clears throat> this is something that brahmins are very um uh, very tetchy about manu says that if you do not receive your upanayana at the proper time mm -hmm. and you do not perform sandhya vandana for three days mm -hmm. you are a vratya a vratya means outcast yeah you are lower than a shudra and in order to reclaim brahmanical status you have to have your upanayana done again after doing prastha yeah now the prastha consists of doing something like kushmanda homa having um, udaga shanti 
and of course then uh, paying the Brahmins a fine. And the fine was paid in the form of feeding. Yeah. So you've got to feed, you know, a thousand Brahmins or something. And then you would get to do your Upanaya and then you could claim Brahminical status. Right. Now, if you apply that principle, how many Brahmins are left? Handfuls. <laughs> the only ones I know are those Vaidika Shrotri, um, Shrotris that are still in India. You find them, they are, call them Ahitaganis. They yeah. are still performing Agnihotra daily and that. Probably about one not even one percent. Yeah. Yeah, my dad is three hours of prayers every morning. Sunday, I'm with him twice a day, every day. Yeah. But, but I mean, I guess you lose status when you go across the ocean anyway. Actually, that was only because <clears throat> you. There's two things you can't do on a boat. You cannot eat food on a boat, and you cannot perform Sunday on a boat. Right. And a trip from India to England. Took how many days? Yeah. 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 So you virtually could not eat proper food. I mean, you could eat fruit or, um, I don't know, maybe uh, they could uh, took some puli uh, kachi with them and, you know, had puli around them. But you couldn't eat proper food. And so you, by the time you got to England, you'd been three days without Sunday of Andana and you'd lost status. Right. But now if you're flying, it doesn't matter. So you can go anywhere in the world today. Interesting. But um, Interesting. Um, as long as you do your Sunday Vandana on, um, when, before you leave and obviously after you arrive. So um, this whole Varna Ashrama system. Now also Ashrama, there's some uh, a lot of misunderstanding about what the Ashrama system was. Mm. In the older Dharma Shastras, the Ashrama system was a vocational system after you did Brahmacharya. Yeah. So you would go to your teacher, Brahmacharya, you'd study for 12 years, you'd qualify. Then you had three options. You could either become a grahasta, vanaprastha, or you could become a sannyasi. Mm. So those are three vocational options. And then later on, it became solidified into the sequential arrangement that nobody went through anyway. Right. And, it was, and the Varana Ashrama system, the sequential four stages, was only open to dvijas. Right. And um, so for the rest, there's only one um, ashrama, and that was Grihasta Ashrama. Interesting. Um, so where do uh, untouchables or... or where they, yeah, where do they fit into all this? Uh, you know what Ramanuja called them? Yeah, Tirukur. Yeah, Tirukur. Um, the Dalits were in actual fact, um, because the, the... And this is another con confusion. Some people say that the um, the castes, only Brahman, Kshatriya, Vaishya, the castes, and the Shudras are um, not caste Hindus, which is, mm -hmm. this is not the case. Um, there are all four are caste Hindus. Mm -hmm. Now, coming back to the uh, Kshatriyas and Vaishyas, after the Mughals uh, took over India, the Kshatriyas lost um, their income. So they took to trade. The Vaishyas, as after the uh, Guptas, the, when the economy started booming, the Vaishyas left off farming <clears throat> and became your money lenders, <clears throat> your entrepreneurs, your uh, business operators. Yeah. And the Shudras were elevated from farm laborers to landowners, to artisans, as I mentioned before. So the, um, the Kshatriyas, Vaishyas and Shudras merged into one big socioeconomic block. And they all gave up uh, Upanena, except a few. 
Yeah. But um, so they merged into one big socioeconomic block. Now, the, uh, the Panchamas, which is what the Dalits were originally called, were those um, on the low end of the scale that were outcasts, all the Vratyas that had been outcasts and uh, tribals, just the miscellaneous others. Yeah. Didn't fit into the um, structure, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the fort um, uh, tier system. So um, they were allocated jobs like, um, you know, scavenging, butchering, um, tanning, cobblers, sure. um, all this kind of stuff. And uh, because of the nature of their work, they were in the village system, they were outcasted outside the village. So that's how they gained their untouchable status. Yeah. Uh, now, technically speaking, as long as you are doing a job, you could be said to be an untouchable if you were engaged in, um, you know, uh, dirty work. Mm -hmm. But now once you gave up that work and you started doing farming or something, then obviously you lose that untouchable status. But now the pro it's like, um, if you look at English names, you've got names like Cook. Yeah. What do you think they used to do? Cook. <laughs> yeah. Smith. Yeah, Blacksmith, Leathersmith, whatever. Fletcher, arrow makers, yeah. Cooper, barrel makers. So all of these are cast names as well. Yeah. But once the you know the econo economical system had changed and everybody started doing everything, so these names just simply remained as names. Well, but, but but I think this is where your point is well taken. I mean, that's what it was traditionally, but I yeah. think with the British, it became codified. You just became this. Well, now, the other thing, that's an interesting point. The, uh, the, the Jati system was a very loose uh, system based on exchange of goods and services. Uh -huh. Now, certain, the, and the, um, the restrictions were in marriage and co-dining. Yes. So you only ate with certain people and you only marry intermarried with certain people. But the rest of the time, exchange of goods and services went on uh, unabated and everybody flourished. Right. Um, and then, so the problem now comes to marriage. People started um, saying, oh, well, we can't marry this person, no matter what they do, right. because they're originally from a certain uh, caste. And this is where the iniquity sets in and the inequality and the injustice. Yeah. Uh, it's excluding people simply because of their name and not because of what they actually do. Um, so this is um, how that um, kind of system became distorted, uh, for want of a better word. Right. But, I mean, we find some of this even in the Mahabharata too, right? Like when uh, Vishwamitra has conversations with uh, Chandala the, uh, yes. uh, with the meat or Tulabara yes. and, and uh, Kaushika and, and the, the woman that, you know, who he gets angry at, looks up and he kills the bird, but yes. then she, she recognizes that later. You're I mean, good, you're good, you know your stuff. Oh, so Mahabharata okay. is my lifeblood. Um, this is one thing, another, another thing that I pointed out to Sri Vaishnava Brahmins that yeah. I, I love uh, poking, you know, poke the bear. Yeah, yeah. Pillai Lokacharya in Sri Vachana Bhushana mentions Dharma Vyada. Yeah. The... And he said Dharma Vyada was one of the greatest um, uh, mystics and that uh, Brahmins and Rishis used to line up at his door to clarify points of Dharma. 
and Dharma Vyada was a butcher. Yeah. Right. So I, on my website, I've actually published the Dharma Vyada Gita. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Which uh, a lot of people are very upset about. But uh, Pillai well, Lokas get upset. That's what he. That's in the text. <laughs> that's cool. But you see, people don't like it because they have been sold this vision. Um, there's another important point I'll come back to. This vision, which is a fantasy vision, yeah, of what Hinduism is all about. So, Dharma Vyada was a butcher, and he was one of the most enlightened men of his time. And the Brahmin went to study, you know, went to learn from Dharma Vyada. Yeah. And they have this conversation about meat eating. So um, the, this Brahmin said, look, this is a very inappropriate um, profession for you to be engaging in. And then they have this conversation. And this is where the beauty of the Mahabharata is in the Samvadas. Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, Vishwamitra uh, Chandala Samvada. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a treasure. Uh, it's a gem. Sulabha. And Janaka, deconstruction of gender. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing stuff. You know that I just love the samvadas. I've actually got a, a booklet on uh, on my website on yeah. a couple of the samvadas that I've chosen. And so, um, because this is where the wisdom comes in, the wisdom of Hinduism is that you have um, a protagonist from each side, mm -hmm. and then they have a discussion. And you're listening into that debate, and the conclusion is open. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what I. This is that's why I love Mahabharata. I can read it a thousand times. Every time I I just come away. Sometimes you come away weeping at the beauty of the just the wisdom that like Sulabha's conversation with Janaka. When I read it, I'm like, this is a man who in every text, Janaka, every text is of Rajarishi, uh, Nora yeah. Brumpen, and he still still has his ego, his sense of his embodiedness. And then there's this woman, Sulava, who comes beautifully, just says, you think you're a Noah Brahman, but you still judge me on my appearance. Amazing. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful deconstruction of gender. And this is, you know, thousands of years ago. Yeah. And you see, it, it comes back to the Gita. One of the favorite statements in the Gita, it's right at the end. He says, yeah. I've told you everything that I think is for your good. Yeah. He doesn't say, look, I am God. These are my commands. You need to follow what I'm saying. And he debates. It's also some vad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> debating with Arjuna the, the whole way through. And then he says, okay, now think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Think intensely about it and then make, yeah, make your, your choice. But this is also, I mean, this goes back to the point where he even tells Arjuna in his Vishwarupam, you know, I've already killed all these people. Either you can be with me and be part of this or you can walk away, right? You know, this yeah. is become my instrument or not. They're already gone. <laughs> You know, this yeah. is your choice. <laughs> but this is why I, I feel like when, we, when Hindus talk about Hinduism, if you don't read the text, if you don't get into it, you come out with these black and white answers in your head when the texts are very open-ended. They want you to grapple with the humanity of, of all of us. And I feel like Sri Vaishnavites, when they read it, they only read it in, uh, or not just Sri Vaishnavites, but many of the sampradayas, only read it from a devotional aspect. There's nothing else to learn but devotion. 
Okay, now there's another very controversial issue, which I have taken up many times. Mm. Beef. Yeah. Sacred cows. Apastamba says that um, beef can be eaten. Yeah. And um, my student that I was telling you about, um, Abhishek, he is, I've taught him to be controversial. Yeah. And to be, so some of the Sri Vaishnava community came to him and said, we'd love to, we're all Apastamba Sutra. You know, you do Yeah, Apastamba Sutra. Yeah. Have you ever studied Apastamba Sutra? So they said, you know what? We want to study Apastamba. Yeah, yeah. So he came to me and he said, what do you think? I said, teach them. So, uh, you know, they came to the section on meat eating. Yeah. And Apastamba says, you can eat iguana. You can eat uh, rabbits. You yeah. can eat this. And he's giving you all the meat that can be eaten. And these three Vaishnavas are freaking out. Yeah. There's the old Brahmins. And they said, oh my God. You know, and then he said, you can eat beef. Beef. And, you know, they totally freaked out. And, uh, you know, it just spun them out. And, um, I mean, I've written articles and I've given all the quotes from the Dharma Shastra. I mean, even in weddings today. Yeah. When the groom arrives, he says, Mahavishnu Swarupa, uh, Swarupaya Varaya Idam Te Asanam. So you sit him down. Yeah. And wash his feet. And then you give him a cow, uh, a, co a coconut. Yeah. And he said, go, 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 Pratigrahyatam. Please accept this cow. And then he said, Ma Vadishta Tranani Attu Jalampibatu, which means do not kill this cow. Let it go, let it eat grass, let it drink, drink water. water. And then yeah. he rolled the coconut to one side. Yeah. Now, if you ask anyone why they're doing that, they wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> what it actually means is Madhuparka, according to Dharma Shastra, when a groom or a, a, a Shrotri, a, you know, a Vedic um, scholar, yeah. scholar, or a king comes to your residence, you are supposed to kill a cow to feed him, have a mm. barbecue. And so it is called Madhuparka. So Madhuparka means you've got to wash his feet, you've got to offer him a mm. cow, and then he can say, yeah, okay, we'll have beef or we won't have beef. But that is, this is in all the Dharma Shastras. And um, it actually says, Manu and many of the other Dharma Shastrakaras say, the only time that you can ever kill a cow is for Madhuparka, for Gomedha, and for Pitra uh, Shraddha. Yeah, yeah. And all the recipes, the menus that are given in Dharma Shastra for Shraddha includes beef <laughs> and rhinoceros. Yeah, I, yeah. And so, you know, this is, uh, you know, but people and people are freaked out by this. I know. I just got into a big, big discussion with people essentializing Hinduism, saying yeah. you have to, if you eat, if you eat beef, you're not a Hindu. And, and I was like, there's so much in our text that talk about beef eating. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't eat it. But it doesn't mean, I don't eat it. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, that doesn't mean that the texts don't talk about, I mean, again, this is why people don't get these texts are not about what black and white it's about okay we might not approve it but it, if you want to do it you deal with the karmapala it's just this is all it's just trying to tell you half the time and i think people don't understand our texts the way they they're supposed to be read and the thing is also you see there there are uh, all the texts are written by dharma uh, uh, you know by uh, shastrakaras and they all disagree so, with yeah. each other too <laughs> yeah 
they all disagree with each other because they're issues. You know, they say, okay, you can do this, you can't do that. Like Apastamba will let women teach you. He says in one yeah. of the last lines, you can yeah. gain knowledge from women too. Women are shudras, you can go learn from them. No, there's... Yeah. <laughs> Now the you see the the interesting thing is uh, even Manu the the most maligned Manu and Yagya Valkya yeah. say that if a dharma is loka viruddha, it is na acharaniya. Yadyapi uh, yadyapi um, what is it? Yadyapi shuddham loka viruddham na acharaniyam. Even though a something is prescribed by the Vedas as pure practice. If people don't like it, it must be rejected. Well, I did not. That's that's key. That's a key passage. Yes, exactly. So dharma is a um, is based on community consent, democratic community consensus. Yeah. So over the centuries, people decided, look, this killing cows is a bad thing. You yeah. Know, we don't agree with it. Okay, so let's jettison it. So we'll give in the coconut instead, or we'll make uh, what they call a pishta uh, pashu. Madhvacharya uh, talks. Madhvacharya talks about it in yeah. his uh, yes. Mahabharata Tarpanam. Exactly. So you make pishta um, pashu, and you offer that instead. Um, we do kushmanda bali uh, instead of uh, the kushmanda becomes a substitute for yeah. animal sacrifice. So the reason why this took place, this change from uh, Gomeda and um, Pashu Himsa to this sanctity of the cow is because of this that you should reject it if the people do not like it. That's right. So everything, so everything can change. And the, this, is the, this is built into the system. And um, so, for example, um, I, people in India are obsessed with caste. I mean, expatriate Indians, not so much. In actual yeah. fact, very little. But um, and they say, oh, why can't it change? And I always say to them, it can change. You just need to decide to change it. <laughs> the moment the community, the, you know, the Vadagari community or the Tengale community get together and say, look, we are dropping all this caste bullshit. Yeah. It ends on that day. That's right. It's by community consensus. There's nothing that is impelling them or compelling them to practice this. But half, so so this is the pushback I get from whenever I say something like this would be, well, what about our traditional practices and rituals and, and uh, our tradition? We're going to throw it away. And I think that's a bullshit um, kind of response. Uh, I get this all the time, loka charam and uh, yeah. vedak. So, um, um, for example, in the wedding ceremony, I do most weddings in Australia more yeah. than all the other pundits because I, uh, you know, bring in English. I get them to say their vows in English, all the grabnami, etc. I've translated that into English and sure. I get the couple to recite it so that they're fully involved in it. So I'm getting more weddings. Um, <clears throat> people come to me and say, oh, Pandaji, we want to do Satvera. Seven rounds. Yeah. As you know, seven, it's not in the Shastra, only Char Fera. Yeah. In North India, it's Char, in South India, it's three. Yeah. Four rounds in North India, three rounds in South India. They say, oh, no, no, it's our custom to do seven. Okay. I said, look, that may be your local Char, but it is not Shastra. Yeah. And um, I won't do it. Oh, you must do it. I said, no, I will not do it. That is your, uh, your family custom. What I will do is I will do the four rounds 
then I will make an announcement that according to Shastra, we have done four rounds. The family wish to do another three rounds, then they can do as many as they like. Yeah, yeah. So they can carry on and do it. Um, then um, this Kanyadam, which is the biggest, um, uh, you know, fast. Yeah. A Kanya is technically Dasha Varsha Bhavet Kanya Ata Urdhva Rajasvala. So this sutra gives you the age limit for a Kanya. Kanya is a girl between the age of 10 and, uh, and uh, um, menstruation. Dasha Varsha Bhavet Kanya Ata Urdhva Rajasvala. So there are no um, uh, marriage between the age of 10 and 12 is illegal. And most of the marriages we're doing, the girls are in their uh, 20s, early 30s. And their parents too want to do kanyadan. So I refuse to do it. I say, no, first of all, the bride is not a, um, a commodity of her parents to be given away. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. And also a Kanyadan, technically speaking, is illegal. It's against the law. I could be arrested for doing this. So you can call it, if you do want to do a giving away, then it can be a Dharika Dana or Putrika Dana or yeah. you know, something else. You can call it what you like, but not Kanyadan. And then there are many customs like this that people say, oh, this is our custom. And you yeah. ask them, what is the reason behind it? Well, we don't know. You know, there's a... The, um, Birala Pitika Nyaya with the basket and the cat. Nyaya. Okay, so there was in this village, there was a Mahayagna. Okay. And the Brahmins were getting the Yagashala ready. And the Yajamana had a cat that kept on wandering into the Yagashala. So the Vadyas, one of the Vadyas, took the cat and put it in a Pitika basket, covered it with a basket. And they carried on some. Vadyas from another village came there and they're watching this yagya and they said, oh, what's that in the basket? Oh, it's a cat. Oh, this must be some secret stuff that's going on in this. So um, after the, uh, the yagya was finished, they went back to their village and the next year they decided to do a similar yagya. They said, but we have to put the cat in the basket. So then they all went around the village. They got a, a black cat and then they carried it in big uh, ceremony and placed it in the Yagashala and covered it with a gilded basket. Mm. And that became a tradition in that village. So every year when they did this, uh, this um, Yaga, they would have the cat in the basket. <laughs> that's, that's funny. And nobody knew where it came from, how, but they have to do the cat in the basket. Yeah. So this is why a lot of their customs, you know, this loka acharam is based on cat in the basket type stuff. Wow. That's that's really 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 interesting. Um, I mean, so going back to like these rituals, I mean, even in some sense, like for example, like now I know like temples, Chinnakeshva temple. I think the Jir there yes. is doing. Uh, conversions or not conversions, but turn uh, making sh uh, untouchables into Brahmins and giving them upanayanam and upadesham and all that stuff. So what what is it? What, what do you think now should be the case with this the varna? Who should be able to get access to Brahma you know, Yagnopavitam or not? Or this is is there something that should change? First of all, one thing that I have stopped doing is I used to do upanayanam for young boys, but I stopped doing it because the boys very often 
um, it was shameful because the father is supposed to teach the kid the Gayatri Mantra. Yeah. And uh, on the day, the, the, the father would say to me, oh, Panditji, have you got a, uh, this thing, uh, Punol? So I'd pull out the Punol, i give it to him. And I said, you know the Gayatri Mantra? And he said, oh, no, no, Swami, can you quickly tell me? Yeah. The I said, you're supposed to be giving Upadesh to your son. And then I'm teaching the father the Gayatri Mantra when he's teaching his son. Yeah. And then I say to the father, are you doing Sandhya Vandana? He said, oh, no, Swami, I don't even know. <clears throat> Sandhya Vandana is that something, uh, Karnaka cheese, Pinaka cheese. <clears throat> he doesn't know if it's something to eat or drink. And then you say, now, so how is your son going to do the Upanena? Uh, how is he going to do Sandhya Vandana? Oh, the, the, oh, Swami, oh, that, uh, we can't do that, Swami. So why am I doing Upanena for him? Yeah. So it's become a social, it's like the cat in the basket. It's just become a social yeah. function without any uh, intrinsic meaning. That's right. So I discourage people from uh, doing Upanena unless they make a commitment to doing Sandhya Vandana. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing. Then when it comes to um, initiating people as a, you know, into a Sampradaya, mm -hmm. Diksha, you can give to anybody. That's not a problem. And all the Upadeshans, uh, all the um, Brahma Jnana, you can give to anyone. Yeah. And already are. You, you go into YouTube, you've got uh, people giving Vedanta. You, and even in Madras, in Chennai, there is a, uh, in Mailapur, there is, um, uh, uh, what's a Krishna, uh, I can't remember the name, it's a yoga institute hmm. that was actually Krishna, uh, Krishna, who is the teacher of BK Sangha, Krishna's Oh, uh, Krishnamacharya. Krishnamacharya. Yeah. Krishnamacharya's other, I think it was his son. Um, Krishnamacharya also said yoga should be taught to women. And he started teaching Vedic chanting to everyone. Yeah. Women included. And so in uh, Mailapur, there is an institute by his, I think it's his son or some, some relative that actually teaches women and um uh, all, all people from all backgrounds, Vedic chanting. Well, it, it, I always find funny when, when people tell women not to do Vedic chanting because the, the vibrations will affect your, your oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what I mean. yeah, this is a pseudoscience yeah. that is coming out and uh, it just it really irritates me because oh, there, are 20, <clears throat> there are 27 rishikas yeah. in the Rigveda. 27 rishikas have given suktas. So if they have given suktas, why can't women study them and re repeat them? I, I know. This is... And um, also you have like Yagna Valkya who taught his wife. Yeah, Maitri and... and uh, uh, what, I, forget, I forget her name now. Uh, I forget her. Ah, Maitri and his other wife. I forget her. <laughs> that is me. This is... a. Uh cognitive uh, yeah i mean everyone knows he he argued with gargi you know but uh, there's other yeah. wife i i i'll come Kat to you Kat yeah, yeah yeah you're right yeah that's right uh, so uh he uh, he gave them uh brahmopadesha and in uh in gautama smriti it mentioned women getting upanayana yes i think the ramayana at, at some point mentioned it I, I, it's been a while yes uh, anuman says uh, comes to looking for sita in uh and he finds this beautiful river and this ghat. And he said, Sita will definitely come here to do her Sandhya Vandana. Yes. And I'll wait for her. 
That's right. And um, uh, Koshalya uh, actually does Homa on her own. So when Rama goes to um, meet uh, Koshalya, she's busy doing Homa. <laughs> you know, you have this precedent for women um, doing this stuff. In right. Pune, there is actually an institute that's teaching women Purohits now. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, the women Purohits are um, more uh, in favor than the males. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I know we're getting hour and a half. I just want to take a, a few, a little bit more of your time. I know if, if I can, just a couple more questions. Um, I think one is, can you, maybe this is maybe another uh, conversation because I love Panchratra, but I think a lot of people don't know, understand what it is. Cause I think it's a beautiful system of Agaman, uh, Agaman Tantra. And, you know, I would love to have a little more conversation about what Panchanatra is, where it comes from, its history. Is that something that you would want to do now or later, some other point? Probably later. That would be a, a section on its own. Yeah. Um, so we'll set something up for that. Then, then I guess the other question would be is, you know, today we're having a lot of conversations about the nature of Buddhism and Hinduism too, right? In terms of how Buddhist is a reformer, comes in and changing. He, he brought change to the Vedic system and, and put it under threat. I know you've done work on this too. Um, do you? What's your thought on the nature of the Buddhist and Hindu relationship? Well, um, the the idea that Buddhism was um, first of all Hinduism per se. I mean, this is also a bit political here, but the term Hinduism was coined by the British. Sure. The 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 Portuguese that came to India first called the Hindus Gentus. Oh, like Gentiles. Right. Uh, yeah, or Gentus or Gentus, uh, but did not call them Hindus. <clears throat> the British then um, coined the term Hinduism, and Buddhism also is is a an artificial term sure. of uh, Western scholarship. To me, the the real situation is that there were the six schools, the Shat uh, Darshanas, mm -hmm. and uh, the Jaina Dhar, uh, Darshana, and the um, uh, the shramanas, there were various schools, were all in the same intellectual academic milieu. Mm -hmm. and from the same source, we had the different schools emerging. Sure. So it wasn't that uh, Hindus, uh, that Buddhism emerged from Hinduism, it emerged from the source pool that mm -hmm. all the other um, um, darshanas and even the charvakas and um, uh, Arjivikas and all the others, they all emerged from the same matrix. So it wasn't that, but they, the, they cross-pollinated each other. Sure. Because they conducted debates, they conducted arguments and they cross-pollinated each other. So many of the, the views are similar, some are, are modified, um, but we have a lot more in common with the Buddhists than, um, the, than not. Now, what happened is that the Puranic literature, um, because India became mostly Buddhist at one stage, uh, India was like 70% Buddhist. Mm. And um, the, all the Chinese, when you read the accounts of the Chinese travelers, they talk about the, uh, the vast mon uh, uh, monasteries <clears throat> that were existing in India. And um, they speak about the... Um, the uh, prevalence, the, 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 you know, or manifest uh, manifestation of Buddhism everywhere. 
Now, the problem is that Buddhism doesn't have anything for the layman. Yeah. It's a monastic-based system. So uh, the function of the layman is just to support the monks. <clears throat> so the monks started becoming landlords. They're becoming, they, there was a lot of corruption coming into the, um, the Buddhist Sangha at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people would always go to the, um, the, the Brahmins for the performance of their wedding ceremonies, funeral ceremonies, and all the rest that people love doing. Yeah. And so there was this cross-pollination going on all the time. And then finally, Shankaracharya and uh, Ramanujacharya didn't really debate the Buddhists as such. Um, I don't think there's any record of him actually debating them, but Shankaracharya did. And um, he defeated many of them. But the demise of Buddhism in India was more uh, due to the uh, Islamic invasion. I, I mean, I thought for a large part, it was also due to the Mimamsa school of people like uh, Kumari Labata, Prabhakara, they were able to defeat the Buddhists on a lot of the, the points on logic and language, right? In, but oh, maybe but You had a, a flip back. The Nyaya school was uh, very, uh, very much influenced by Dignaga, yeah. who was uh, one of the great Buddhist logicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, again, Dignaga, um, fed back into the system. Nagarjuna was a uh, Telugu Brahmin. Yeah, that's right. That um, he became one of the great um, uh, theoreticians of the Madhyamika school. Right. So, you know, it, and the thing is that when you look, interesting that I've um, pointed out to people that the majority of the Buddhist philosophers were Brahmins. Yeah. Well, that's also because I think like Buddhism, like you said, was was primarily a, a shamana school for for renunciates, but it also was very casteist in the sense of it, it thought itself of being the refuge for Brahmins and Kshatriyas. Like the next Maitreya is supposed to be from a Brahmin family. It's very well, much focused on the upper two castes, not the rest. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yes, the Buddha did uh, one of his uh, disciples, one of his uh, intimate um, disciples was uh, Upali, who was a barber. Yeah. And there were a couple of Kshatriyas, but the rest were all Brahmins. <clears throat> so Buddhism was, was uh, actually elitist, but it did not exclude the Shudras. No, that's right. <clears throat> so teaching was given to the Shudras, and uh, the Shudras were included. Um, they could also take vows, you know, become monks if they wanted to. So it was more open, it was less, it was, uh, uh, it was less caste, um, rigorous than um, the traditional Brahminical system. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I think there's a lot in common. I mean, the, the differentiation that people are making is more political yeah. than it is actual, um, you know, in substance. And even going on about Atma, Anatma, it's, uh, these are, you know, petty, really petty discussions. Right, because ultimately when they talk about uh, the, the, you know the tathagata it's very similar to brahman it, in many ways <laughs> the thing is that they uh, the question to ask when they say oh there is no self you know, yeah yeah of course you know atma can be used as self me yeah i get myself or it can be the self as the essence the essential nature they say oh well <clears throat> i've searched my entire body and mind i have not found a self and yeah. then you say, well, who's doing looking? Yeah. As long as there is an I and my, then there is self. Right. I like Ramana Maharishi, when he finally got his, uh, his samadhi, he stopped yeah. teaching. 
because you know there was nobody to teach us. Ramana just said, if you have realized uh, Kevalya, then who are you going to teach? If you think that you are the same as everybody else, yeah, we're all one. It's like teaching to a, uh, an image in a mirror. <laughs> So as long as you have got I, my, and process of uh, didactic process of teaching, yeah, you are still Atmavadi. Also, the Buddha gave 30 synonyms for uh, Nirvana. Now, so Nirvana is not a nihilistic state. It's a positive state. Yeah. <clears throat> so the question is, who experiences Nirvana? That's important. Yeah. So these are questions that are not adequately uh, answered by the Buddhists. Right. And um, uh, and also, also to, to say that, uh, you know, Astika Nastika, that division, mm -hmm. Astika Nastika is not based on belief in God. <clears throat> it's believed in Asti. Asti means, is there an afterlife? Yeah. So uh, Nastika was technically speaking Charvaka. They were the materialists that said there is no afterlife. There is no karma. There's no reincarnation. Now, the Buddhists and Jains believe in an afterlife. Yeah. They believe that there is a reincarnation. They believe in karma. So they are all Astikas. But why are they grouped as Astikas then? Uh, they're political. And even the, actually the, the incorporation of Buddha as an avatar of Vishnu was a political expedient. Um, that was in the Puranas. Also, the Puranas get really nasty about the Buddhists. Yeah. The, because the Puranas are all uh, written, you know, like after after Buddhism, most of the Puranas, and um, they kept on being written throughout the Middle Ages. Sure. Even the Srimad Bhagavatam was written very late. It's about uh, after Ramanuja, they say. Right. They say Bhagavatam was written because Ramanuja never mentions Bhagavatam. Yeah, he only quotes majority Vishnu Puranam. Vishnu Puranam, correct. And so the many scholars believe that it was written after Raman. But the Puranas start getting really dirty on Buddhism and talk about killing Buddhists and killing Jains and all this kind of stuff. But <clears throat> um, the older, like Agama, if you look at Pancharatra Agama, the older Agamas don't mention uh, Buddha as a uh, incarnation of Vishnu at all because they're all pre-Buddhists. Yeah, yeah. So they mention Balarama as the incarnation. Not yeah. Buddha. Interesting, because I mean, the Pancharatra tradition goes back to the Mahabharata, right? It, it starts yeah. from the, the Narayaniya section of the Shantiparva. So, yeah. um, but it, I, to me, I, I feel like, I mean, we could get into this at another point, because I feel like you also have stuff to do too. So, <laughs> um, well, I, I want to thank you for your time. You know, it's been you know hour and a half. Do you have anything else that you want to, you know, say to anyone that's listening that's interested? In uh, I need to know what they want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a saying in Sanskrit, Naprachataha Kasachit Bruyat. Yes. Do not say anything, anything without being asked. That's right. That's right. Uh, no, but thank you for your time, Acharya. You know, I would love to have you on again and to maybe some more conversation about um, Pancharatra and take questions and stuff like that. Because, that, sure. you know, hopefully we could do that. Well, thank uh, Additionally, I do want to thank you for the work you're doing at the hospitals during COVID and, and the help you're giving to so many people. You know, it's I know you're you you are epitomizing the 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 not a seva not a seva. So thank you so much for for bringing that to our table. You're welcome. So 
जन यमुना तीरे पावन मुनि जन यमुना तीरे गायती वन माली गायती वन माली मधुरम गायती वन माली